1: you're watching Global BC.
2: This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We we'll begin with breaking details of another float plane crash. This one, though, with a happy ending.
3: It happened a mile off seashelt with three people on board at the time. Our Catherine Urquhart is live on the Sunshine Coast with more tonight. And Catherine, thankfully, there were
4: no serious injuries in this one. That's right, Sophie and Chris, three people incredibly lucky to be alive tonight. They survived a float plane that crashed in the waters right here behind me. The de Havilland beaver went down at about 12.48 p.m. The pilot and his two passengers could be seen bobbing in the water for about 30 minutes. All were wearing life jackets. We know that earlier this year, Transport Canada made life jackets a requirement on some flights. So. Perhaps this made a difference here. A tugboat plucked them from the water, then a hovercraft brought them to shore, all of them unhurt. The crash and the aftermath was witnessed by Ian Bolden, who was canoeing nearby. Here's what he told us.
5: I saw a plane circle uh, a very low and I thought it was uh, a plane watching whales as they usually do out here. They, a lot of times they circle over whales and um, the plane got very, very low and nosed down and turned into the wind and uh, next thing I saw was a big splash. Knowing the situation with the crash and, and how hard it seemed that they hit the water, uh, the fact that they walked away at all was quite amazing.
4: The Transportation Safety Board says the plane is privately owned and it went down due to power loss. It later sank. Now, the TSB says that it will be following up, but it will not be sending any investigators to the scene. But again, three people incredibly lucky to be alive tonight. Back to you guys.
3: Definitely. All right. Thanks for that, Catherine Urquhart on the Sunshine Coast. Meantime, the coroner has now identified the victims of a float plane crash last Friday on Addenbroke Island, north of Port Hardy. The B.C. Coroner Service says the pilot was a man in his 50s from Vancouver, previously identified by his sister as Al McBain. His three passengers, a man in his 40s from South Carolina, a man in his 60s from Germany, and a man in his 70s from Washington State. The investigation into the exact cause of death continues.
2: RCMP have now pulled out of York Landing unable to substantiate a tip. The two teens suspected in the deaths of three people in northern BC were recently spotted in the area. The focus of the manhunt now goes back to Gillam, Manitoba, the last place the pair was caught on camera. Tonight we're hearing from two people who interacted with the teens before they were officially declared suspects. Here's Romina Dea.
6: The two BC fugitives on the run for days before hitting Split Lake, Manitoba, Monday, July 22nd, stopping at this gas bar for $20 in fuel. Employee Michelle Keeper alone when the murder suspects came to her till. Cam, that's the one with the
0: mustache. He was like quiet and keeping his head down. He seemed, I
6: don't know, like... They just seemed normal keeper had no idea who the men were neither did the rest of canada because it was the day before the rcmp declared the teens murder suspects
7: the two fugitives were kind of nervous
6: nathan uh, neckaway says the suspects were questioned by first nation constables after they didn't stop at a mandatory checkpoint in this northern community where alcohol and drugs are prohibited
7: they said that they seen um, camping gear plus uh, a few maps but again, um,
1: you know, not knowing the status of them, uh, they assume that they're again two electors. Like,
6: After a false sighting of the suspects in York Landing Sunday, police have now returned to Gillum, where the manhunt continues. The Gillum area remains ground zero for the search because it was the last location. There was a confirmed sighting of 19-year-old Cam McLeod and 18-year-old Briar Schmigelski. But that was eight days ago. We know the suspects have travelled across four provinces, more than 5,000 kilometres. July 22nd, their getaway vehicle found burned out in the bush near Fox Lake, Cree Nation. Police believe they may have received help inadvertently. (laughs) Back in Split Lake, the reality now sinking in for Keeper, who came face to face with Canada's most wanted.
1: I felt scared like... They could have done something to me, but they did not seem like they was type, like the type to do anything. Romina Dea,
6: Global News. Whoa. Oh, get it back. Get it back.
3: An explosive back. car fire in Vancouver, and the vehicle matches the description of one used in a drive-by shooting. Richmond RCMP and Vancouver police now working together, appealing for witnesses to that shooting in a mall parking lot in Richmond.
2: The drive-by sent a 35-year-old man to hospital with serious injuries. Grace Key has more on what we know about the victim and that car found on fire in Vancouver a short time later.
8: Whoa. An explosive okay. fire rattles a South Vancouver neighborhood. Residents ran out to find a torched vehicle in their back alley. It happened just after 1120 Monday night on the 2100 block of Newport Avenue. We heard two cars screech down our alley and then a few few minutes later, we heard a really loud boom.
9: It was it was crazy. Uh, yeah. I, I, I've i never been so scared. <laughs> I thought our uh, garage caught on fire.
8: The two-door silver sedan matches the description of a vehicle used in a drive-by shooting an hour earlier in Richmond. The gunmen sprayed multiple shots in a parking lot at Richmond Centre. A 35-year-old man suffering from apparent gunshot wounds was rushed to hospital. Vancouver Coastal Health confirms Vancouver General Hospital was under lockdown around 11 p.m. after a shooting victim was brought to the emergency room. We respect that there may be many questions around this uh, particular investigation and want to assure you that at this
4: point, our investigators believe that the victim of the shooting was in
8: fact targeted police say the victim is known to them and he does have a criminal record he remains in hospital with non-life threatening injuries police are also asking for witnesses or anyone with dashcam video who may have been in the area at the time to come forward whoa Richmond RCMP and Vancouver Police will also be working closely to determine if the torched car is linked to the Richmond shooting. Grace Key, Global News. A scary situation for a
3: Langford resident. RCMP are investigating a break and enter that happened while the resident was sleeping. Thieves broke into the home located in the 1000 block of Goldstream Avenue sometime overnight July 29th. The resident woke up to find a cut screen, an unlocked window and personal items
10: missing. They were not awoken by the suspect, uh, so we don't have a suspect description to share with you today. But we do want to alert residents and just want to let everybody know, please keep your windows locked. I know oftentimes, especially in this hot weather, you know, we want to sleep with the window open. uh, But it's probably a good idea to have it locked, especially if you're not going to be in the room where that window is open. Make sure that it's closed and locked before you go to bed.
2: Summer is supposed to be relaxing, but it's a stressful situation for grade 12 students trying to apply to colleges and universities right now. Many are finding an error in their exam results. Tanya Beja is live live in our newsroom right now with the details of what seems to be a glitch in the system showing lower marks. Tanya, how many students are impacted by this?
11: Well Chris, right now the Ministry isn't giving any numbers, but the technical glitch has likely affected hundreds if not thousands of Grade 12 students who wrote their final exams in June. What we're told is that the Ministry, the Education Ministry, is working around the clock to resolve this. Now, there was a major problem with the grading of provincial exams. Parents tell us that students who up until now had class marks in the 80s and 90s are seeing exam marks in the 50s and 60s, marks that would significantly jeopardize their chance of university acceptance. So, as you can imagine, uh, these students are facing a lot of anxiety right now. We contacted the Ministry of Education, and they say they understand this is a stressful situation for students and families, and they are trying to fix the situation as quickly as possible. In a statement, the ministry writes, there was an an anomaly in the tabulation of the grade 12 June exam results and a team of ministry staff are actively working to identify and resolve the issue. The ministry is reviewing each June 2019 exam result to ensure student grades are accurately reflected on their transcripts. Now, the ministry says it uh, reached out to all high schools and post-secondary institutions in BC to let them know about the problem and to make sure student applications aren't impacted. They're also in the process of contacting universities right across Canada and beyond as needed. Chris and Sophie, back to you.
2: All right, Tanya, thank you.
11: ICBC
3: is kicking off a recruitment campaign for a year-long pilot project Project aimed at determining if technology can improve driver behavior, thereby making roads safer. Ted Trinecki explains how telematics works and how, who they're hoping will sign up.
1: Statistically, drivers with four or fewer years' experience are 3.5 times more likely to crash their vehicles. So rather than keep paying the repair bills and massive liability costs, ICBC's going after the root cause. It's a $3 million program seeking young drivers to install a tiny tracking device on their windshields for one year.
9: We spend $45 million a year on road safety programs today. This is adding another tool in that toolbox of road safety programs.
1: Much like a Fitbit, the module collects all sorts of data, sends it to your phone, and then on to corporate headquarters, where it's analyzed. And, oh, there's that stuff sign. And sent back to ICBC as a driving score.
9: This is why we're doing the research, is to put information in the hands of people to say, will this change Your behavior. Now, the reality is we don't know. Is
1: that important? ICBC claims that after initial sign up, a volunteer is given an ID number and all data is collected anonymously thereafter. But in this world of potentially weaponizing personal information, the Italian company handling all this data says it had to make numerous changes to satisfy ICBC.
9: For example, geographical data, we delete that data after seven days. That's part of our contract. We're implementing that now specifically for these concerns. Uh, other personal identifiable data like, sh- like address, we remove that after shipping. The company
1: hired to run this program says in other markets, drivers can shop their high scores around to several insurance companies for better rates. But in B.C., there's only one provider of basic car insurance.
9: If you come from another market, uh, Alberta, Ontario, Washington State, uh, and you're a good driver without crashes in your history, well, we're going to reflect that in the rates that we charge you.
1: They're looking for up to 7,000 volunteers, with a start date sometime in November. Ted Global News.
3: Right now, though, almost 10 months after the legalization of cannabis, B.C. has laid zero drug-impaired driving charges. And that's not because police haven't pulled over anyone toking up behind the wheel.
2: As Sarah McDonald reports, while we're seeing charges in other provinces, there are questions tonight about why we're only seeing bylaw infractions here.
12: It's the ticket garnering widespread attention and questions surrounding commuting and cannabis and the legislation around it.
13: It actually is an offense to be operating a motor vehicle and consuming cannabis.
12: Which is exactly what a motorist in Saanich was caught red-handed doing on Monday, even tossing a lit marijuana joint out the window of his vehicle. He's now been slapped with nearly $1,000 in fines under the Wildfire Act, the Motor Vehicle Act, and for speeding in a playground zone. But he won't be criminally charged for impaired driving, much to the dismay of legal experts like this one.
13: Police in British Columbia have not charged anybody criminally with any type of cannabis impaired driving offenses since the laws have been introduced.
12: That was 10 months ago. And in the same span of time, other provinces have laid charges for driving under the influence of cannabis. Eight drivers charged in Alberta since June, more than 30 in Quebec, 100 charges laid in Ontario, but still none in B.C. Drivers in this province can face four-figure fines if found driving under the influence of cannabis. And that depends on the concentration of THC found in their systems. And just like alcohol, officers also have the power to impound your vehicle or suspend your license. None of which happened in this case, leaving the Solicitor General defending the province's enforcement of new legislation.
2: These are decisions that uh, are made by uh, the police based on the circumstances and the, uh, the evidence that they encounter.
12: And Saanich police say the officer who issued this ticket, a drug recognition expert, was satisfied the driver was not impaired. Still, public opinion is split.
7: I think the government's in a difficult position that it's not as clear-cut as a brothelizer. I just think
13: it's a, a really scary thought, you know, to have people driving
12: high. The conundrum is how high is too high? And just when should law enforcement and the legal system butt in? Sarah McDonald, Global News.
2: Let's dive right in, shall we? It's been three years since the city of Vancouver started looking at building more public pools to address a serious shortage compared to many other cities.
3: An advisory group has now delivered its report on the city's draft plan. And as Nadia Stewart reports, there are now concerns some pools could be closed.
14: The future of Vancouver's pools in the spotlight this week, as a long-awaited report is on the park board's agenda. And while public opinion varies... I just think there needs to be one, like, more inland up in Kits.
2: This one can get pretty crowded, so um, they're popular spots, so yeah, potentially a few more wouldn't go astray.
14: The community seems united on one thing.
5: I don't think they should shut down. Um, I, I understand that they are expensive to run.
14: It's why there's concern over language missing from a report by the Van Splash advisory group. Earlier this year, they were asked to examine the state of city pools. The report recommends replacing aging pools such as Carisdale, but does not specifically call for the protection of others such as Templeton and Lord Bing. I don't want us to close down any of our community pools. Park Board Commissioner Tricia Barker says if going green is still one of the city's ultimate goals, shutting down smaller local pools would only force people into their cars to access the larger ones. If we can look at that and stand back a little bit and say no let's not do that let's keep
13: these pools open let's look at the cost what do these big destination pools cost
14: and what if we maybe took some of that money and kept the smaller pools open the park board won't be going into the deep end tuesday night no voting is planned just a presentation and discussion still residents plan to rally raising yet another concern this time about outdoor pools The report did not include any recommendations for a new one. Adia Stewart, Global News.
3: A new program from the city of Surrey that's a reminder for everyone now that the weather is about to heat up. With drowning, the third leading cause of accidental death in Canada and second among children, Surrey is launching two water safety initiatives. Free life jackets will be available at the Crescent Beach Lifeguard Station. The city is also offering a free life jacket safety assessment program at the beach and all of its pools to make sure life jackets fit properly.
2: more scuffles between protesters and police in hong kong several hundred people gathered outside a police station after media reported more than 40 people had been arrested on riot charges the government recently suspended a controversial extradition bill but protesters have widened their scope to demand more democracy and government accountability
3: No shortage of concern tonight about that massive data hack against Capital One that compromised the personal data of six million Canadians, including one million social insurance numbers.
2: As Global's Abigail Biman reports, potential victims will have to be vigilant for years to make sure they're not victims of identity theft.
13: Privacy experts say the most important thing to do is closely monitor your credit card statements for any unusual activity, and not just right now, but monthly, as some cyber thieves will hold this information and use it against you years down the line. If you don't, you could become a victim of identity theft. And when I was privacy commissioner... A number of victims of identity theft came to me. It takes
4: forever to clear your name. It can be a nightmare. So scour anything that, in terms of charges that may have come out on your Capital One card or anything else, to make sure there's no charges that didn't result from transactions you engaged in.
13: And then report them right away, of course, to Capital One and to the police. For Canadians, the biggest hit is through the one million social insurance numbers that were breached. That's a jackpot for thieves looking to steal your identity. But even if you don't hold a Capital One credit card, anyone who applied for one between 2005 and 2019 could be a victim. Their personal information at the time of the application was breached, too. Capital One is offering free credit monitoring and identity protection to those affected. In the meantime, before you know for certain whether you are a victim, experts say keep a close eye on all your records and also think twice about what you post on social media. Things like medical results, work information, anything personal. And don't be afraid to ask questions whenever you're buying or applying for something about how your personal information is being protected. Experts say security breaches like this are becoming far too common and will keep happening until privacy laws are upgraded in Canada and fines are imposed on companies responsible for breaches. Abigail Beeman, Global News, Ottawa.
2: A former Russian interpreter once accused of being a spy is speaking out on camera for the first time.
3: The federal government issued a deportation order after the immigration board ruled she engaged in espionage. But as Anne LeClaire reports, she and her Canadian husband adamantly deny
10: the claim. I never thought I would wake up in a nightmare like this. And. I've had migraines all my life, but now I have them every day. I'm on medication for anxiety and depression. And that's, that's the emotional toll. When Elena Krenna agreed to work as an interpreter on a Canadian-funded housing project in Russia more than two decades ago, she never expected it would come back to haunt her. Sounds like witch hunt to me. The 57-year-old is baffled that a recent ruling by the federal government found that she engaged in acts of espionage, contrary to Canada's interests. It all stems from unsolicited meetings she had with a Russian intelligence agent.
9: So it's essentially guilt by association, purely, with no substance required. She says in the decision, no substance is required.
10: David Krena was the Canadian policy advisor who first hired and later married the Russian interpreter.
1: This is really a love story.
10: True. While he's insulted by the insinuation his wife was a sex spy, she sees the humor. I'm laughing, see? (laughs) Because this is... I'm sorry, can I use the BS word? This is just BS. The Krenas are hoping their judicial appeal to the federal government will help narrow the current (laughs) definition of espionage and ultimately help clear her name.
9: What we want is... The decision struck down, and a clear policy definition of what espionage is.
10: It's hard, not knowing where I end up up being, whether I will be kicked out of the country, and my my name, don't forget my reputation, that's solid. And David's the same. Anne LeClaire, Global News,
2: Montreal. Now, it's a good bet this isn't what Donald Trump had in mind when he began building his wall on the U.S.-Mexico border. A California architect has turned this portion of the wall in New Mexico into a playground of sorts. He's installed three pink seesaws that allow people on both sides of the wall to play together. He hopes it reminds people that children and adults on both sides of the border are connected in meaningful ways and that actions on one side of the border have a direct consequence on the other side. Brilliant. Mm-hmm.
3: A legendary comedy duo came out of retirement to date to mark the 50th anniversary of one of the most controversial scandals in television history.
5: It's really hard when you don't know what you're talking about. To, <laughs> to know when you're finished. To know when you're finished, thank you. <laughs>
2: They've been doing that for years. Tom and Dick Smothers, better known as the Smothers Brothers, reunited to unveil a display dedicated to their career. Back in 1969, the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour was canceled by CBS, despite high ratings, because the network considered it too political. The brothers used humor to criticize the Vietnam War. The war in Vietnam keeps on a raging. CBS announced today that the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour will not return to the CBS television network next season. The brothers filed a breach of contract lawsuit against CBS, which they won. They moved their show to other networks and actually back to CBS for a time, but never with the same success. But they continued to tour, retiring from performing back in 2010.
3: Well, for decades now, British Columbia has had a well-earned reputation for having some of the best drinking water in the world.
2: But a new report from the Auditor General says the government isn't doing enough to protect that vital resource. Richard Zussman has the details. It's one of those
7: things British Columbians
2: do every day. Grab a glass,
7: turn on the water, fill it up, and have a drink. But the province's Auditor General says that the public is not being adequately informed about the risks associated with tap water and potential illnesses.
14: One of the
10: problems that, um, that we identify in this report was that the Ministry of Health actually doesn't know how many systems are out of compliance.
7: In a new report, the Auditor General found, along with not notifying the public of potential risks, the Ministry of Health and the provincial health officers aren't sufficiently protecting drinking water for all British Columbians. The office put forward eight recommendations in this report. Five are to the Ministry of Health, including undertaking a legislative review, as well as identifying risks and developing a strategic plan. The province is quick to point out that many of these issues occurred under the previous government, and it's focused on ongoing measures to ensure high-quality water.
5: You think of... The impact that development can have on sources of drinking water. You think of the impact of climate change. And clearly, we have to continue every year, year unto
2: year, to up our game. Nothing is more important than drinking water to the government.
7: Risks of water contamination are higher in smaller systems, in smaller communities. The reason why is because those communities cannot often afford the proper filtration systems. Good news, though, in British Columbia, we haven't seen any waterborne illnesses since 2004. But the Auditor General pointing out in the report that just a small contamination could potentially lead to illnesses for many people. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria.
2: You're watching Global News Hour at 6. It has been 25 years since the mysterious disappearance of a North Vancouver businessman and his wife. Nick Massey Sr. and Lisa Massey vanished back in 1994.
3: Keith Baldry has more on the clues they left behind and the new reward offered by the couple's children who renewed their plea for information today.
5: For 25 years now, Nick Massey Jr. and his sister Tanya have been searching for answers to a mystery that has carved a hole in their lives. The fate of their missing parents.
13: We
0: can't say that it was a homicide because we don't have evidence to indicate clearly that it was a homicide. But we presume that they've fallen victim to some sort of crime.
5: Nick Massey and his wife Lisa vanished overnight on August 10, 1994. He was a flamboyant and successful financier, and both were well-known in the social and business circles of the Vancouver Stock Exchange, where questionable behaviour among some seemed to be the norm. The couple was supposed to be meeting up with a potential investor interested in putting $10 million into Massey's new business venture. They never showed up to their planned dinner at Trader Vic's restaurant in Coal Harbour. Investigations since then have turned up few leads, except one. There
0: was a trip down to the Cayman Islands uh, in April of that year that they went missing, which was a few months uh, beforehand. And that trip was um, kept secret from friends and family. We don't know the reason for that. Um, We do know that there was an account opened in the Cayman Islands. Anything that's happened um, related to that account has offered us no further clue as to... um, how it is involved in their disappearance.
5: But Nick Massey Jr. angrily rejects the notion his parents are hiding somewhere.
2: To read that in the media at any point in time, that they're hiding somewhere, enjoying the high life, and that we're all sitting here going, what happened? I go, that's just disturbing. Today, the Massey
5: children announced they are increasing the cash reward for information leading to determining their parents' fate to $50,000 from $25,000. That's why we're here today. I that somebody is going to provide a piece of closure for us so that we know. Keith Baldry, Global News.
1: Wow.
3: All right. Uh, time to check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon now. A little grayer
0: out there, but still... Feeling all right, pleasant. Yeah, not too bad. It was bright, I would say, today and in near-seasonal temperatures, but yeah, a little bit grayer, and uh, that was the case in other parts of the province as well today. It's, of course, been great news for the forest fire season. You can see we're just on the lower edge of it, but I wanted to mention it's nothing compared to what they've been dealing with through uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan. They've had incredible severe weather not only today, but through the last uh, month, Alberta on average see 17 tornadoes per year. They've already surpassed that just in the month of July. Here's a look at some of the thunderstorms from today. Incredible supercells there. and No tornadoes reported today, but look at these. Ping-pong-sized hail uh, in Alberta, and this was for Saskatchewan today. Uh, Tunis-sized hail. So in comparison, things are pretty mellow here. Uh, now, we do have this system that will continue to affect BC. All of the areas that were affected today will be again tomorrow with the majority of that rainfall to the north. We're just again on the lower edge. So tomorrow morning, expect some cloud cover, maybe a slight chance of an isolated shower, a bit of drizzle. But in the afternoon, we're expecting more sunshine. Although do those of you across Vancouver Island and the Sunshine Coast, you also have a slight chance of an isolated shower tomorrow afternoon. And then from there, we're watching this. This is our Sort of late Thursday, everyone. So it does mean rain for our region, not all areas. And uh, this is that slight chance of showers earlier in the day on Wednesday. It's only towards the end of the day on Thursday that the chance of showers climbs, and it's not by much. I think for the most part, your Thursday looks dry, but by Thursday night into your Friday, that's when you can expect to get wet. So backing up and looking at your Wednesday, rainfall for the North Coast, inland regions, showers, and you do have a risk of thunderstorms tomorrow. That risk of thunderstorms touches down into the Columbia region but otherwise looking at nice conditions some cloud cover in the morning and that's the same case for us so cloud in the morning sunshine in the afternoon clears just in time for the fireworks Thursday we'll see increasing cloud with evening showers potentially Friday's also looking wet, but we clear out for the weekend. And look at this shot. There's Lone Island in Haida Thanks to Don Gavin for that. And I'm sorry, I put an extra eye just like Haida Gwaii. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but it's, what a serene shot. Thanks, Don. That
2: is gorgeous. That's frameable.
0: Yeah, no kidding.
2: Definitely.
3: Thanks, Christy. A Los Angeles jury is hearing arguments about how much pop superstar Katy Perry will have to pay a Christian rap group for copying elements of a song without permission.
6: There's no going back!
2: Subtle differences, but not many. The jury ruled yesterday that Perry's hit song, Dark Horse, improperly copied parts of a 2009 song by a Christian rapper who went by the name Flame. The issue now is exactly how much Perry's song earned her and her record company, which will be the basis of any damages paid. That hearing is expected to last two days. We are getting a behind-the-scenes look tonight at Team Canada's preparations for tomorrow night's Honda Celebration of Light lots of special effects uh, we're spending a lot of time building unique things that
9: vancouver has never seen before
3: Firemaster productions will be representing canada following team india's show on saturday it was a pretty spectacular saturday a team of 15 people is spending three days setting up thousands of kilograms of fireworks including some people whose only job is to build special effects
7: it's always been a desire of myself to get into competitions. I love it. We don't make any money. We actually lose money on it. But this is kind of like my vacation, my ATV, my sports car. This is what I like to do. I like to put a good show, a big show on for a
2: crowd this size, too.
3: Of course, Team Canada will light up the sky tomorrow night. And Team Croatia wraps it all up on Saturday.
2: Good luck to those guys tomorrow night. All right, let's check in with Squire and sports right now.
3: Hi.
9: I... I it's not it? too wide. It, uh, to me, it looks too wide. It looks like I'm wearing a very colorful lobster bib. <laughs> it's but it's retro. Okay. All right. All right.
3: I can't see you eating lobster, because you don't like to get
9: messy. <laughs> mm-hmm. I let someone else crack it and cut it. Uh, it's funny. In this town, sports fans and media complain that the Vancouver Canucks spent too much money on certain players. But when it comes to the Whitecaps, it's the other way around. They complain not enough money has been spent on players. Now, a lot of the players the Whitecaps brought in last winter, Mark DeSanto's new guys, haven't worked out so well. But one that has is goalkeeper Max Crapo, who today signed a new four-year contract. Here's Escalante! Save Crapo to the rescue. During
5: a dreadful White Cap season where so much has gone wrong, Max Crapo is one of the few things that's gone right for the White Caps.
1: Oh, what a save by Crapo. And then another one. What a remarkable moment.
5: They bring me here and they trust
0: in me. And I trust them as well. Where we're on the same page. And uh you know when uh The organization hired the new staff and they brought new faces, including me. Um, I think it's building on a new era and finding a new identity of this club.
5: And that's what you forget. When Crapo was brought in to compete for the starting keeper's job, he had very little MLS experience, but he did have the trust of Mark Dos Santos, who's watched Max play since he was a kid. Crepo has repaid that faith by earning the starter's job with four clean sheets and 4.1 saves per game, fourth best in the entire MLS. Uh, since day one, when he arrived, he arrived on a mission. And we feel that he arrived very ready in preseason. Uh, he arrived in a mentality of this is my big chance. I have to take it. Uh, and even in a difficult season, uh, he's able... Normally goalkeepers don't don't show a lot when when it's difficult or you know it goes in a very negative spiral. And him, he stayed on course. He's giving his best. Thanks to a new contract, he'll continue to give the Caps his best right through the 2022 season with an option for 2023.
0: I've proved nothing so far. I just need to keep going uh, years after years after years, weekends after weekend, just show up and do. Uh, do what I do best,
14: uh, that's it.
9: Clean sheet from Max Crapo, Paul Dolan. He oh, was excellent, excellent again here today. A couple of BC boys have been named to Team Canada for the upcoming Halinka gretzky Cup for under-18 players. It'll be held in the Czech Republic and Slovakia. Surrey's Justin Sordoff, who plays for the Vancouver Giants, will go. Goaltender Dylan Garand, who is from Victoria but plays for Kamloops, he'll go as well. The Giants' Michael Dick is Canada's head coach. The tournament starts August 5th, goes to August 10th. Sports teams and sports leagues know if you whine enough and you make even the most veiled threats about leaving town, you usually get what you want. And what they usually want is taxpayers to build them a new stadium or arena. It's happened all over North America and it's going to happen in Calgary. Today, Calgary City Council voted to pay half the cost for a new arena for the Calgary Flames. Each side will put in $275 million to replace the Saddle Dome, which is one of the NHL's oldest arenas built in 1983. These are the drawings of what the new arena would look like. It'll be in the East Village region of Calgary, if you know Calgary, an area that is apparently quickly gentrifying. Actually, it's not too far from where the Saddle Dome is. The new arena will be a centerpiece of an entertainment district for Calgary. It'll likely keep the Flames in the NHL for a much, much longer period of time, and it'll keep them from complaining. The PGA is cutting its cut line. Next season, it'll be the top 65 scores and ties getting to play on the weekend instead of the way it is now, top 70 players and ties. It's designed to speed things up in the final two rounds. Top 65 and ties is also the number they go with on the European tour, so now those two tours are in sync. It also means a bit more money for those who make the cut because, of course, there are less players to share it with. Well, when frustrated or angry, a lot of people like to throw something. Occasionally, Galus throws me. It feels good for about a second, and then, depending on what you threw, it seems kind of stupid. On Sunday, Cleveland pitcher Trevor Bauer threw the ball into the stands because he was upset. Major League Baseball has fined him an undisclosed amount. The Cleveland Indians haven't decided how they'll punish him, but they will do something. This is what happened. Royals are scoring. Bauer's about to be pulled, and so he fires the ball into center field. Didn't throw it, he says, because his players upset him, it was more about him. But still, after the game, immediately after, Bauer apologized for what he did.
7: It was childish, unprofessional, Um, there's no place for it in the game i happy that it didn't result in any physical injury for anybody else. Uh, I realized it put people in danger. Um, I want to be clear that my frustrations were with myself and my inability to stop the situation um, and keep my team in the game.
9: I will say this, it was a
2: good long toss. Sure was. <laughs> He's got a strong arm.
3: Caught on video in China, a miracle survival thanks to quick-thinking neighbors.
2: After getting over their initial shock at what they were seeing, they leapt into action and saved the life of a toddler dangling from a balcony. It is a heart-stopping moment.
7: There, in the distance, six stories up, a toddler dangles from a balcony in China, clinging to life. This video, aired by China's state TV, captures the urgent rescue effort as people gather below holding a white blanket. Seconds later, the toddler loses his grip and plunges to the ground. Remarkably, he falls straight into the blanket and survives. My only thought was to keep him safe, says one of the quick-thinking onlookers who helped break the three-year-old boy's fall. Here's another look. If he'd fallen seconds earlier, he likely would have been killed. Instead, tonight he's safe after suffering no injuries saved by the most incredible of catches now seen around the world. Gabe Gutierrez, NBC News.
9: I have a question. Where was mom and dad or the guardian?
2: Not answered. No, don't know. But boy, do they have a lot of angles.
3: Yeah. A lot lot of of cameras picking picking up the eyes. Yeah, right. And I mean, you guys have kids. That toddler is really strong, right?
2: To hang on like that, yeah, for as long as he did.
3: Mm-hmm. Anyway, thank goodness mm. he's uh, safe now. Yeah, for sure. And his parents should throw a party for the neighbors.
2: No doubt. Let's find them. <laughs> Last word on weather before we go.
0: Sure. So we will see some cloud cover tomorrow. I am hoping for sunshine by the afternoon, probably more than what we saw today. So enjoy. It'll be perfect for the fireworks.
2: Sounds good. All right. Thanks for watching. Have a good night, everybody. Good night, all.